This is Press Publish, a weekly conversation about journalism, technology, and the media business, where we talk with people who are shaping the digital future of the news. I'm Josh Benton, director of the Neiman Journalism Lab at Harvard. This is episode one, S1E1. Congrats on getting it at the ground level. So you might be asking, what is Press Publish? Uh, at Neiman Lab, I'm really lucky. I get to talk with a lot of really smart people in a lot of different corners of the future of news world. People at traditional news organizations, people at startups, people on the editorial side, the technology side, the business side. And I always wanted to have a place to have longer conversations with some of those folks uh, where they could share what they're working on. I could ask them about what they're learning along the way. And Press Publish is going to be that show. It'll come out once a week. Episodes will usually be about 45 minutes to an hour. Good for commutes. And I'm really going to try to aim for a lot of variety in who we talk to on this show. One week it might be a newspaper publisher, the next week a coder, the next week a, a really innovative editor, the next uh, a venture capitalist. I hope that you'll like it, that you'll listen in every week, and that you'll subscribe to it in iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. We have two guests this week for our first episode, Dan Sinker and Aaron Kassane. They are, among a lot of other things, the two main forces behind Source, a great new site about the intersection of journalism and code. It's at source.mozillaopennews.org. Think of Source as a communal gathering point for people who write code for journalistic purposes. News developers share their work for others to adapt or to use, and they talk about how they did it. Dan is in charge of Night Mozilla Open News, which is Source's parent organization, and Aaron edits the site. You probably know them from some other projects, too. Dan founded Punk Planet Magazine back in the day and was a journalism professor at Columbia College Chicago. Uh, to be honest, you probably know him as the guy behind the uh, Mayor Emanuel Twitter feed a couple years back. Erin's worked as an editor and a content strategist in a lot of places. Uh, along with her source job, she's also editor of Contents Magazine, which is terrific, contentsmagazine.com. And she previously edited uh, The Great Alista Part. And you should also get her book, The Elements of Content Strategy. I wanted to talk with Dan and Aaron about the development of Source and about what they're seeing among developers in newsrooms, how areas like data journalism and data visualization and data interactives are all evolving. Here's our conversation. Let me start off with Dan then. Um, Source is a project of Night Mozilla Open News. For someone who's listening and doesn't have any idea what that is, what is it? How did it get started? Uh, sure. So the Night Mozilla Open News Project is uh, a collaboration between uh, the Knight Foundation and the Mozilla Foundation to um, build an ecosystem around open source uh, development and experimentation in the journalism space and to help strengthen the community um, around that same stuff. Um, and so kind of at the at the center of what we do is a fellowship program. We actually place uh, developers and engineers and stats people and and hackers in newsrooms for 10 month uh, 10 month stints uh, to do kind of experiments and and really uh, let let their passions lead them in interesting newsy directions. Um, all of that stuff is is open sourced and shared with the with the broader community. We also um, sponsor a lot of hack events, so we like to um, in order to kind of strengthen and broaden the community around. Um, development in journalism, we really believe that you need to um, demonstrate that journalism is a place that 
hackers and engineers want to play. Um, and so one of the ways you do that is you let them play the way they want to play, which is mess around with code. And so we've been sponsoring hack events all over the world um, for the last uh, for the last 12 months um, with more to come in 2013. Uh, we ended up sponsoring somewhere on the order of 20 to 22, somewhere around there, hack events this year where that had over 2,000 participants. So that was pretty exciting. Um, we run uh, a brand new kind of part of the initiative is called Code Sprint Grants, which we give uh, money to developers and to news organizations to make small um, kind of transportable and, and uh, very easily replicable uh, code bases to be able to solve uh, problems. And then we run Source. Uh, and source is really almost the connective tissue that that connects all of those things, and also then connects out to the much larger development community. Um, so, yeah. Well, let me. I think anyone who reads our site certainly knows about the Knight Foundation's interest in in this space, uh, since they're the the nine hundred pound gorilla in it. But how, what's the interest of Mozilla? How did how did hacking on journalism end up being something that interests them as a foundation, as an organization? Sure. Well, I think. Um, the, the original discussions uh, with between Knight and Mozilla were actually before my time, but I think the if I can probably inaccurately represent them, um, the basic idea was you know Mozilla has a great deal of interest in making the web better, um, and they have a number of different tools with which they can do that. Some of them are their web browser Firefox, um, and other ones are ways of kind of basically saying what are um, where are verticals happening uh, that actually have some real impact on the the overarching direction of the web? And mm. so the kind of conversations that, that, that led to this kind of began in 2009 and, and kind of matured in 2010. And the basic idea was, you know, the media space and the journalism space gets a great deal of traffic to the web and has a great deal of ability to to kind of adopt open standards and to really push that out to their readership. Um, and that in turn kind of makes the, the overall web better uh, or worse, right? Now, <laughs> 2010, like Flash was still the way that everyone was doing most of their visualizations and stuff like that. Um, so that I think was the kind of initial initial spark. Um, since then, it's really uh, grown quite a bit. And journalism's relationship to the kind of open web has also matured without Mozilla Foundation. Right. right. And so, um, you know, at this point, what I really like to talk about in, in relation to this is, you know, that that motivation of we want to make the web and we want to make the web better is a thing that really does drive, you know, Mozilla every day. Um, and now if you look at the technologies of the modern web, right, a, a number of them actually came from journalism, um, whether it's Django, whether it's Backbone, whether it's D3, whether it's, you know, Underscore or, you know, CoffeeScript or, you know, half of them are from Jeremy Ashkenaz, but, you know, <laughs> still – these are all things that came out of the newsroom, right, or came out of journalistic needs and problem sets. And yet they are the technologies that that very, very broadly define the current stack of the web, right? And so um, we not only make journalism better by bringing more kind of developers and engineers into the mix, but we make the web better too because the the kind of the – 
crucible that that made these technologies is is very unique to journalism right the need to turn things around very quickly the need to be able to prototype very fast the need to be able to scaffold an idea or to get a data set up you know as quickly as possible that is really a use case of journalism and right. yet it so it turns out that it's the use case of agile development it's the use case of of the how we think about making on the web today right right so so when open news started out um was was something like source part of the original plan, or is that something a need that you or someone else identified at a, at a later stage? So when Open News started, I wasn't I wasn't running it. I joined um, about six or seven months into the program, and um, very early on, I came with a you know a pretty good uh, contact list of people that are already doing this stuff in in journalism. But I also kind of came from tangentially related to big J journalism, right? Um, and so one of the things that I actually noticed really early on, um, I joined late in the fellowship selection process last year, and I felt like a lot of people were articulating ideas or problem sets that I already knew people were working on, mm -hmm. right? Um, I just started to realize, like, there was no real central place to be able to go and look to see that somebody's already you know, all over, you know, system X or problem set Y, right? And so um, I actually very early on, I think it was about three weeks into the job, um, dropped an email to Scott Klein at ProPublica and Brian Boyer. Um, I was actually in Berlin, uh, like suffering from jet lags. It was the middle of the Berlin. <laughs> and basically it was like, look, well, I think that there's a need for some kind of site that collects and amplifies the work that's being done all over the place right and they both responded like yep and i don't want to build it <laughs> very good yeah I'm, I'm familiar with that impulse it's sort of similar to at a different not as technical level what we try to do at, at demon lab but so then uh did you reach out to aaron right then or how did that how did how did the two of you get connected um aaron and i had gotten connected via the internet <laughs> what's that yeah crazy uh mainly on twitter i think it was just kind of friends of friends retweeting each other's things that then led to kind of following each other and uh i believe our main point of contact was in november commiserating over jet lag um on twitter it brings everyone together <laughs> and, um at the time i was really beginning to think quite deeply about what the um what open news was going to become in 2012 right um and one of those things was this site and uh similarly to how brian and scott said yeah i really want this but i don't want to build it um i got to the point where i was yeah i really want this but i don't want to run it um both because I needed to be focused on other things, but also because I felt there were there were people that could do a better job. And, um, you know, as Aaron and I kind of communicated over Twitter, I uh, hatched hatched a devious scheme to uh, completely get... unbeknownst to me <laughs> uh, and not been told until much later on. But uh, to get her invited to the news food conference in Phoenix and just to get a chance to meet her in person and kind of get to see how she thinks. And uh, at the end of that conference, I basically was like, I have this idea and I think you'd be good for it. So, so this is really the one year anniversary since as we're talking news, was just a couple of days ago. 
Apparently so. Yeah, I realized that uh, the the Saturday of Newsfu was was that sort of surprise turning point. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, Aaron, yes. for for people who might not be, you have a, a varied background and a lot of have your hands in a lot of different really interesting places. Uh, how, can you take us from you know I don't know college graduation up to today? What what have you <laughs> what have you done? Uh, and what are the areas that you've worked in? Sure. Well, I think the things that relate the most to what I'm doing um, at at Source, the through line there is that I have always been doing editorial work, and I really, really like things that cross fields and cross professions and encourage people to learn from other people who aren't exactly like them. So, uh, you know, how that played out with me coming out of college, I didn't go into publishing, which is sort of what I expected to do because I had sort of stumbled into the web. So I I did web stuff instead. Um, I started out um, with a list apart magazine, which for those of you who haven't run into it was sort of the one of the early places where web standards were born. Um, I started out there as a proofreader and wound up um, editing the magazine for about 10 years. And as a result of that work, I mean, I did learn how to be an editor, but also I was involved in, you know, helping to document and break down a lot of new developments on the web, um, front end, back end, design, all of those things, uh, sort of as they were happening during that period. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, after I left a list apart, I was continuing to do editorial work on the web for various kinds of organizations, sort of as a consulting editor. And I, I also um, I have another web magazine called Contents that I edit with Krista Stevens, who also worked at a list apart, um, that really focuses specifically on bringing together people from different fields, from journalism and publishing and web work and academia and so on. So. When Dan, after I'd gotten two hours of sleep a year ago, said, I have this thing, it's between code and journalism, it needs an editor, and you get to work with these awesome people, it was a really easy, obvious decision for me. <laughs> um, and. I have to say, you know, I, I I didn't go to journalism school. I am in no way a journalist. Um, I've always been really interested in journalism for civic reasons. Um, but this last year of working more closely with people who either are journalists who code or who are coders who work, you know, as part of a, a newsroom team um, has been tremendously exciting. There is, as Dan said, there's so much good stuff coming out of newsrooms that affect the web, but also I think the crossover between things like civic media and journalism and web activism and all of this stuff that's sort of critical to, you know, democracy um, is awesome. So that's been um, encouraging me to continue with this policy of doing weird web editorial jobs that are difficult to explain. Right, right. And and you have you have experience, you've written a book on content strategy. I'm curious when you framed, um, I mean, a list apart uh, is framed as a magazine. You've, you just framed it that way, contents magazine. Do you think of Source as a magazine? Is that the framing mentally that you use for it? Uh, no, actually, it's sort of, um, it, it's, it's been really difficult for us to, to talk about nouns. 
um, in relation to source. We can talk about what it does. How about it's adverbs? Little, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's a website, right? Like, fundamentally, that's what it is. We can call it a, a magazine. We could call it, for example, a lab. Um, but I think what it is, it, it's a site that brings together a lot of interesting stuff people are doing. And we've tried to sort of not get tangled up in too much of the the framing of it otherwise. There's a code index, which is a really important part of it. That's very unmagazine-y. Um, you know, we have a, a, a rapidly growing index of open source projects that are tagged by their function and their languages and so on. Um, and then there are the maybe more blog or magazine-y things like the code walkthroughs, um, the project breakdowns by journalists. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's it's a website fundamentally. (laughs) So uh, I'm curious, you know, from your content strategy background and and Dan, from your, your seeing the need for this originally, um, I'm curious how you thought about the kinds of content and the, the, the forms of content that you wanted source to, to, to contain, you know, you, you, uh, Aaron, you just went through a a few of them, but I'm, when you were thinking about what the holes are that in the community that of, of news developers that you're trying to help fill, you know, what were the kinds of content you thought matched up to that? Uh, Dan, do you want to jump in or shall I just start down with our list? I'll jump in actually with how we got to that point and then, and then maybe, you know, talk a little bit about it, but basically um, so Aaron works out of New York. I work out of Chicago and um, she was actually going to be coming to Chicago in late January um, last year uh, for the Ord camp conference. And I kind of wrote her and I was like, you know, it seems really easy for you to just come in and then leave again. Let's, you know, try to find a, an extra day there to actually be able to sit down with some post-it notes in a room um, and, and really think about those questions and added bonus. Let's invite, the Tribune News app team over to kind of be bullshit detectors once we've kind of worked through some of that, um, some of these post-its. And so uh, I talked to Brian Fitzpatrick, who's the head of engineering at Google Chicago, about getting a space that we could work in. And we ended up in this gigantic room. But um, it was handy because it had one whole wall of whiteboard and uh, we had plenty of post-its and things like that. And we really just started to to work that through. And then what was what was especially handy was, you know, about halfway through that process, Brian Boyer and Joe Dramuska and, and uh, Heather and, and uh, those folks came over and kind of, you know, blew all of that up. Um, and I think that that was the, the key thing. Uh, just a few weeks later, I went to New York and I talked through the same idea with the ProPublica people and also with uh, folks from the New York Times. And, you know, and then Aaron actually did the same again with, I think, uh, I think the same, same co- a few, Yeah, a few of the same people. And that was actually a really key thing was, it, it, you know, it's one thing to identify a need and say, you know, this is a space that needs to be filled. Um, and it's another thing entirely to then turn to that community and say, look, here's the, here are the ideas that we have. Where, what are you seeing? Where are the things that are going to be most useful to you? Um, and how are the, how are the, you know, what are the things that you're going to want to plug in with, with your content and your areas of expertise? And I think that was actually a really key decision was not simply to create something from on high, but to really engage the, the very community that we wanted this to be of uh, in the actual design process. 
Yeah, and, and I would add to that, like one of the things we did in Chicago in that first meeting before we even got to defining, um, you know, who are we really making this for and what exactly do we think they might need, we started with some ground rules. And one of them was that we're not here to create a community. The community exists. They're already doing amazing work. So our job is to get involved, talk to those people, watch what they're doing in addition to what they're saying, and then make something that is, you know, will serve their needs as best as it can. So that was really one of the things in the very beginning that was important. Um, and, and, and like Dan says, we've been very fortunate. This is a very enthusiastic community. People have been really willing to take time, um, even in, you know, the Olympics crashing into elections hmm. year to talk through what they wanted, um, what they needed, what kinds of problems and questions they had, and um, and really feed us so much good stuff. We didn't have to go through a really complicated ethnographic process because we had people who were there giving us, you know, emails full and calls full of ideas. So, you know, I, I also will say I didn't know what to expect when, you know, I showed up in the giant room um, and there were all these post-its and Dan, who I hadn't worked with before. Um, but it was actually a very easy process. We sort of went through who it is that we were serving, um, this core audience of people who do code in newsrooms or near newsrooms or around and about newsrooms. And and then the idea that there are also audiences that are related to that, that we're not going to hit straight on Um but that could still benefit from this work. Those things came together in a pretty logical way. And then after that, we could start playing with content types. Um, and I will say, you know, as we expected, once we actually began to get real live content, of course, there were things we hadn't thought of. And there were things that were more interesting than we expected, mostly. Um, and some things were just shaped a little differently than we'd imagined. So we adjusted our plan and adjusted the site a little bit um, Ryan Pitts, who built out the site, I just have to say has been, it's been extraordinary working with him. And he uh, is himself a newsroom coder. So he was not only our, you know, our developer, but also part of our core audience. And I think having him involved from relatively early in the project has been really critical to building something that works for this audience as much as it does, because, um, you know, I could suggest something and he can say, well, I mean, as a developer, I can totally build that for you, but I have a better idea because I'm also your audience. Right, right. And one of the, one of the framings of the of source that I that I like, which seems to make sense for the audience that you're trying to reach, is that it really has more of a repository feel than a news site that is, the, you know, a news site or a magazine site because, you know – the learning about uh about responsive iframes or or simple tiles or timeline js is going to be useful in 3 months uh or in 2 months or in a year probably and it's sort of it, it's not as much attuned to you know here's what's happened today it's 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 more repository oriented i guess it sort of lines up a bit more with a sort of github centralized repository model there that's a big part of of what we do and that was actually one of the things that when we first started pitching this idea to uh, two teams once we had sort of uh, more of a plan for what we were doing. The repository aspect is one that lit up every conversation we had. So, you know, this is something that people do need. Uh, and ideally, yeah, we don't want to do, we don't want to spend all of our energy on things that are going to be valuable for a week or for a couple of weeks. And even, I would say on the more 
editorial content, the, the project walkthroughs and interviews and things like that. Um, what we try for is, you know, getting into the details of the rationale and the process and the design work, the kinds of things that will be valuable um, in a month or a year, even if the technology itself changes a little bit, even after elections are over, mm-hmm. um, you know, getting these people who are doing this really complicated work to talk about what they learned and want to do differently next time. That's ideally something that's going to be an evergreen, useful resource. And I should also note that there's sort of a more formal educational component of this planned for the very near future, um, which I'll let Dan talk a little bit about, because I think that that gets into more of, you know, how this becomes a long-term resource. Yeah, Dan, I was going to ask a little bit about that a little bit later, but we can talk about it now, the the learning initiative. Is there much you can say about it now? Uh, sure. There's 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 more I can say about it now after this past weekend than, than I could have before. Um, not because it was uh, a top secret or anything, but because there was not a lot of uh, a concrete uh, concept there. Uh, but basically, so, so you know, I, I rattled off at the start of the interview all the different things that Open News is doing. Um, and one of those things that, that we've announced but we haven't yet enacted is uh, a learning component, which is uh, very specifically learning oriented towards kind of, you know, developers and hackers and engineers and 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 programming techie oriented people that are curious about journalistic problem sets and want to be able to dive a little bit deeper into those um and source is doing that right now in a way that i think is is awesome you know when you have someone like um jacob harris at the new york times really talking about the motivations and and how they built and how their uh you know election uh, you know, caller app works, right? Um, but there's, there's, you know, there are a couple of levels of abstraction beyond that that somebody who really is curious about trying this stuff out themselves would need. And so, uh, the learning component, which actually Keo Stark uh, is is heading up, um, is going to begin to kind of flesh out that side of it. So, you know, what is, you know, how do we how do we take these concepts and actually make them so that you could you know, implement them, uh, and not anyone, people with skills, right, could implement them, uh, and then to be really begin to kind of build new things uh, from that. So it's it'll be another component of source that'll be getting started in, uh, you know, hopefully in early 2013. So just so I understand the framing there, we'll get back to source, but the uh, the it's aimed at technologists who are interested in getting into journalism more than, say, uh, a journalist who is interested in learning how to do, you know, how to start the path, start down the path towards doing some of these sorts of things. Is that the, the framing? Yeah, that's right. And okay. I think that that's, you know, one of the, the Aaron talked a little bit earlier about kind of the the audience types that we really conceived of when we thought of source and, and they map very closely to the audience types of, of other parts of the open news program. And uh, open news is, is always been about kind of oriented towards getting technologists that are interested in journalism uh, up to speed, right? Mm-hmm. And not journalists that are interested in technology up to speed. Though I will say we are beginning to kind of dip our feet into that pool as well, um, especially kind of Erica Owens and uh, our community manager and some of the Mozilla webmaker people have been kind of doing uh, uh, some experiments in kind of getting journalists some some basic web skills. Mm-hmm. Okay. So one thing, whenever I have thought about this universe of news developers and and news development, I suppose, uh, I've I've struggled a little bit to figure out how to define the boundaries around it. Like, for example, 
is something that comes out of a, a news organization's developers, but isn't necessarily uniquely attached to a journalistic problem or, or effort. Is that in the universe? Or what if there's someone who's outside of a news organization, but produces something that is a very, very useful to that sort of work? H- how do you conceive of, of what your, your beat is? Are there, are, is there code that would only appear if it's produced in a news organization? If it were produced outside of a news organization, it, it wouldn't be highlighted? This is the source of our most hilarious editorial conversations, <laughs> because uh, we are, I think, all a, as a team, um, really pretty committed to fuzzy edges, um, and and we're biased toward generous definitions. Um, if there are things that will be obviously useful to people who are doing development in or near newsrooms, then we think that's worth addressing. So there are things that come from outside of newsrooms that we definitely get into, um, that we include in the index, and a lot more of those that we want to include, um, especially as like a lot of the, the events wrap up the year, I'm sort of gearing up for a big index entry push. So um, I would say we are we are biased toward adding more useful things, but that does you know at some point you do have to draw a line, um, and not just put everything on GitHub into it. Um, on the on the feature side, on the the editorial side, it's it's quite a bit easier because there's sort of uh, a, a loose group of people, not all of whom are in newsrooms, but who do seem to be involved pretty directly in both code and and news um, that we reach out to to, to talk with um, and and who come to us. But also even there, you know, there are a lot of people who are moving in and out of that world, who are with startups or are with, um, you know. The Night Lab, who are with academic institutions, so we've tried to keep it pretty loose. Um, you know, the, earlier this year at the the Civic Media Conference at MIT, there were a ton of people doing stuff that really felt critically important to this world, who had never worked in a newsroom um, and who weren't doing what they considered to be news. So uh, it's it's a loose it's a loose set for us. Right. Uh, Dan, you want to add anything on that? I agree. You know, I think that. Um... I think if we have a bias, it's it's less a bias towards where did the developer sit when they made this thing, right? Or was the initial intention of this a news story or simply information display, right? Um, and instead, the bias is really towards is this is an open project, right? Is this something that uh, the code is available for other people to 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 use and and play with and 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 to learn more from? But like for example, if if Backbone had not been produced at Document Cloud, but you know if it had been produced by by Thirty Seven Signals or by some other uh, outfit that is not directly tied to journalism, do you think would that fit into the repository? I mean, obviously, it's something that has used to journalism, but it's not really uniquely attached to journalistic efforts in any way. So, yeah, I mean, I think that I think that yes, right. Um, in in that sense, you know, especially in the in the backbone sense or the underscore sense or or any other kind of um, abstracted library, right, sense or framework sense, um, those those get included in the index in part because they were created by and for, you know, the kind of news space. Um, and I actually think that's really important, right? Like, I think that, uh, you know, to, 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 to draw a line, right, like the you know, tang or the microwave oven, right? These really <laughs> important things that came out, well, tang, maybe not, but the microwave oven, right? 
that came out of the space program, right? <laughs> Don't undersell Tang, man. <laughs> All right. Uh, and and I think that it, it is actually very important. And, and uh, I was just getting very passionate with someone just last week about this. Like, I feel like journalism does not tell its own narrative about that stuff very well, right? And um, it, and yet, you know, like, so, so a, a great example would be when we were looking for new fellows, I put together a series of very short videos with newsroom developers about why they do what they do, right? Right. And, Jeremy Ashkenaz was one of those. And the, the, the A number one response was, I didn't know that guy worked at the New York Times, right? <laughs> so, yeah, he does, right? Um, and I think that those things are important, and I think they're important to include in, uh, in a repository. Plus, they're incredibly useful. Right, right. So uh, from what, you know, Source launched in, what, mid-October, somewhere early October, somewhere around then? Uh Launched in the summer and then officially uh, launched in in uh, in mid October. Okay, I'm curious. From looking at how people are using it, um, is there anything you've learned about the the elements that are the most the most most frequently used? Are people really gravitating to the code and you know uh, you know forking lots of things off on GitHub, or are they reading the features? What are you seeing? Uh, time, uh, <laughs> huh? People love the New York Times. <laughs> Welcome to my life. <laughs> If the New York Times publishes a piece, uh, it gets an insane number of readers. Um, yeah, and I, I would say you know we are still really early in this process. Um, it's a different audience for um, it, there. There are differences in the larger audience we get for something like um, Mike Bostock's um, walkthrough of his brilliant visualization for the Times. Then when we publish something that is about something really specific on, you know, the back end of a tech project. Um, so they're, they're different audiences. We do see, you know, people starting to use the code index. Um, and, and also I would say the part that I'm still watching maybe the most right now is the kind of thing that we're getting in from people um, and the kinds of questions that we're getting. And we are starting to see more people coming to us to say, um, you know, we would like to do more documentation, but of course, as everyone knows, documentation is a giant pain and it's time consuming and it's really hard to take the energy to do documentation at the end of a project when you're already exhausted. Is there a way for us to do that with you guys so that maybe you can help us some with that? And I think that's been encouraging on the intake side and, and had, you know, fruitful results on the readership side. Mm -hmm. So I would expect, you know, there are already things we have planned for the next few months that will change some of the shape of what we're publishing. Um, and I would say in another few months, we're going to have a much better sense of specifically how people are interacting with the code side of it, because mm -hmm. it has started relatively small. Um, but I, I think that's going to turn into one of our, you know, to sort of lapse into jargon. I think the long tail on the code is really important right. to what we're doing. Um, but but yeah, I, I will say that I have been tremendously encouraged by the, the number of people that I know and really respect in this world who started to send notes saying, hey, could we move a few more of our documentation pieces onto this in the future, maybe have a process for that so that we don't have to maintain that on our own, mm -hmm. which is, to me, a huge success. That's, that's what we want um, for this core group. There's also something to be said for, um, you know, Dan and I both kind of talked about 
the idea that we have a central audience and then we have sort of radiating out from there circles of other people that we think this information could be really useful to, you know, one of those being the larger development community that doesn't really understand what anyone would do in a newsroom, whether it's a coder or a journalist. I think that is an audience that we are just beginning to get the attention of and mm -hmm. that we're going to see a lot more of in the next year. So because in part I come from a sort of broad open web world, I think that's going to be really interesting and really exciting. And one of the things I really want to do myself over the next year is help kind of bring some hooks into that world to explain, um, you know, why these brilliant developers have gone where they have, what you might do in journalism, what you might do in civic media, just to show the shape of these options, because there are so many developers who don't even realize those possibilities exist. Right, right. I'm sure you'd like the feedback loop where people who read Source, who come to it from a, a pure developer background, then get interested in the fellowships and want exactly. to enter in that way. Yeah. Yeah. I'm curious how how, how attached uh, your your conception of this is to the open source nature of it. And, and I, what I mean is there are certain newsrooms like the, the times and, and uh, ProPublica and, and the Tribune that have sort of gotten on board with the, the value of open sourcing their code, but not everybody is on that train yet. I, I'm wondering, would you ever have a piece about uh, a piece of software that was produced in a newsroom that might have interesting elements to it, but yet isn't on GitHub and isn't open sourced? Oh, we actually already have, have been doing that. We oh, don't, okay. it's not a requirement. Um, certainly for the code index, it's easier because we're sort of linking to repositories and, and that kind of thing. So it would be, you know, maybe less useful to have a code index entry for something that you couldn't really get to. Um, but we do have people who either aren't ready to open source something yet because it's not done or, or just who, who work in a more closed environment. Um, so that's, you know, certainly within the purview of what we do. And, and I will say that's, you know, that's a group that it's a little bit harder to reach for us. We're having to, to do a little more sort of wriggling to figure out who it is that we should talk to in a newsroom that doesn't participate in this more sort of collaborative development open source world. But there's a lot of really valuable thinking happening there, even when we can't talk about, you know, here's the code, just understanding things like design process. How do you guys work with reporters? How do you work with editors? What's your rationale for this kind of approach? Why did you make a map instead of something else? You know, those are things that are useful that are not necessarily married to being open source. So we don't have a hard line on that, even though, you know, Mozilla is certainly a, an organization that flourishes in open source. And we do have sort of an overall bias toward an appreciation for that. We would not ever exclude a newsroom that, you know, that can't do that yet. We might hope that they might move toward it in the future. Um, and I, I, I should note also that Something that's been really interesting in conversations with journalists who who don't really do development, who don't uh, um, people keep being surprised that journalists, you know, at the New York Times, at well, certainly the Guardian, at you know the Tribune, at NPR, are willing to share information with each other across newsrooms instead of sort of trying to protect it as a competitive advantage. Right. And I think the cultural thing that happens when you move this sort of open source ethos into a newsroom is really interesting. Um, and seeing how that's changed, in some cases, not just the code conversation, but the larger conversation about 
investigations and ethics and all of those things is tremendously interesting to me. So I'm really looking forward to seeing how that plays out. Yeah, yeah. So I'm curious, just as, as people who observe this space very, very closely and and see, you know, all the code that that's coming in, uh, you cover everything from deep web infrastructure stuff to uh, reporting tools to presentational elements. Uh, I'm just curious, what are the areas of, of news development right now that are most interesting to you or most exciting to you? Where's the, the, the most interesting new stuff happening? Um, well, uh, I, I'll actually, I'll, I'll jump on that, but I actually wanted to add on to, to what Erica sure. Aaron was saying. <laughs> There's so many E's in our world. It's okay. Um which is i think that um sometimes sometimes we we say open source and we hold far too uh far too importantly the code side of that right um that i actually think that um especially in the in the case of newsrooms especially when you're talking about things that connect into proprietary systems and things like that simply releasing the code is not actually all that useful Right. Um, and that one of the things that I think source has been really good at and I think is is only getting better at is actually capturing the thinking um, that goes into the actual problem solving or why we approach this thing in this way or this is how we did it. And I actually think that that kind of open um open working and and open knowledge sharing and things like that is is equally as important as actually opening this the source code itself. Mm -hmm. um, I think there are any number of examples of, you know, source code that's been open sourced and is entirely useless to anyone because it's not documented because you don't understand why it does the things that it does and and that sort of thing. And so so you really do need both. And I think that that's part of why source is constructed in a way that is both um, a kind of feature side, which is kind of the documentation side. Right. And a code index, which is much more kind of just linking to two code repositories that exist. I think both of those things are are really important um, in terms of of the actual question that you asked. Uh, <laughs> the I, I think the areas that are exciting, it's it's a funny time to have launched source. Right. Because as as Aaron said, um, you know, we. We launched right in the shadow of the Olympics and in the looming onslaught of the election, right? And so um, if you actually look at especially the kind of feature side of things, election stuff, well, and then and then just to make things exciting, throw a hurricane in the middle of it, right? <laughs> um, you know, that, that most of the documentation work uh, and the feature pieces that we've had fall in those three categories, right? Um, mainly kind of hurricane and especially election. Um, and so I think that what's going to be interesting actually is to see how content develops over the next few months when we're actually in a relative news lull, right? Um, I mean, for me personally, the, the areas that have been exciting are the really, the really back end, like, you know, come behind, step behind the curtain and let me really show you how this works, right? Like something like Jake Harris's piece on the New York Times just the other week is um, is just amazing to me. And I'm, I'm really hopeful that we'll begin to see more and more of that because, again, like open processes are good. Um, they're they're helpful in, in any number of ways for people that are in newsrooms uh, that want to see how other people do it, right? I mean, that's the amazing thing is is we get really high-level people together, and the very first questions that they have are like, how do you do this thing, right? Like, right. It, 
it has been a traditionally a very closed system, right? And uh, being able to kind of shed some light on that, I think, is really interesting to everyone. Yeah. Yeah, I, I would agree. And I would say uh, further, more than saying, you know, that it's, it's visualizations or it's it's infrastructure, um, you know, the thing that I think is most exciting is seeing a lot of developers in newsrooms begin to kind of get their heads above the water of, you know, we have to make this many maps, we have to make this much stuff for this emergency situation or or for elections, or we have to, you know, build libraries that will allow us to get more sophisticated. Like, a lot of these tools are getting to the point, a lot of these processes are getting to the point where we're starting to see more cross-organizational conversations about things like, how do we not repeat each other's work? How mm-hmm. do we, you know, do things that are not just the obvious things we do every time there's an election or a major sporting event? What can we do that is actually better journalism with the code? What can we do that gets more context, more real issues into this stuff? What can we do that's sort of less expected or or lazy or any of those things that we sort of had to do because everyone was under so much pressure and we were building the tools as we were using them. So I, I think we're sort of on the edge of seeing a real blossoming of interesting work that is highly journalistic as mm-hmm. well as about development. So, I mean, I think the thing I'm most excited about is what happens in February, what happens in March, now that a lot of this groundwork has been laid. Right, right. Let me ask you a a kind of nerdy infrastructural question. Uh, the sites, the site is uh, these others have all been general interest questions, but uh, um, the site's built on on Django, as I understand it. And I really love the idea that uh, people and organizations sort of have equal citizenship status as content types uh, to blog posts and, and feature articles. Um, you know, you, if you click on the community tab on the site and you can uh, filter through all the people who work at The Guardian and all the projects attached to the people who worked at The Guardian, I, I'm just curious to the thinking behind that because it, it is a, a perspective of looking at this development that's very people-centered, which makes sense, but I, I want to hear a little bit about the thinking behind it. Yeah, well, I think that that, um, that actually grew out of engaging with those people from the start right um i think it's easy to uh i think it's easy to create something for someone and uh forget that they exist right and (laughs) actually create it with them uh you don't forget that they exist and you don't forget that what they do is actually a really critical part and and i would actually loop back to something aaron brought up uh much earlier which was the engagement Ryan Pitts in the actual development process, right? One of the things that as we began to talk about who actually makes this site happen, right? Um, I, I actually really felt quite strongly and Aaron agreed with me that we, that we find someone from this world to build it, right? And um, that works on a conceptual level, right? But it also was a, a workflow question, right? I mean, it's incredibly handy. I mean, I think that the the people and organizational interlinking um, and the data model and that sort of thing, it was very easy for me and Aaron to say this thing should be exist. And if I remember right, on our original post-its, there was a post-it that just said magic box, right? (laughs) (laughs) Magic box, articles and code and all of that sort of thing. And 
Um, and then you talk to Ryan and actually Chris Groskopf was also really important in the, in the original kind of data model layer. We were talking to him mm-hmm. first. Um, but then, you know, Ryan basically, he listened to us blather for about 40 minutes on a Skype call, right? And he said, okay, I, I think I kind of have an idea of what you're talking about. Uh, let me play around. And like two days later, he was like, okay, I have a tunnel into my laptop if you guys want to come and take a look. <laughs> What he had built was magic box, right? And it turns out it wasn't all that magic, right? It was just a matter of thinking about the data layer at the start instead of at the end, right? And um, it was it was exactly that. And 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 then he brought up all sorts of really interesting points that we hadn't even thought about, which is like, okay, you associate someone with one organization and then they leave an organization. Right. And so do they just lose that association? Do they add a new association? Like how how does that work? And it's only having someone who's been a part of that um, of that world and, and, and recognized as, you know, kind of one of the people really driving that world forward uh, that you'd be able to really think about those problems and have them addressed at the start of the development process. Right. I was wondering if all of the all of Brian Boyer's projects were going to be attached to both the Tribune and NPR after he moved over. Well, they'll be attached to him. And then the, the, the project themselves, if they appear as um, as as index entries, for instance, would be attached to the organization that helped produce them. But um, but Brian himself as an entity on the site will always be attached to all of his organizations. It's kind of sweet. Uh, it's going to be a long list (laughs) in a couple of years yeah that's right you know when we do your 10-year anniversary show it'll be a nice little walk through (laughs) job change lane um about that actually that has been really interesting was you know and this was this was actually entirely ryan right he was like oh look we can just make a list of all of the people right and display it as a as a content type and um, that actually went in as kind of a placeholder um, in the original design, uh, the early design of the site was this kind of list of all of the people um, was in a community tab because we'd kind of been like, we should have community, but we're not sure what content types go inside community. Right. And as the as things progressed, it was like, wait, this is like one of the side effects of this idea of associating people with projects and, and organizations and, and that sort of thing was you're actually, and I think it was Scott Klein when I was talking to him about source, he was like, you're going to be building out a map of this community, Mm -hmm. right? Uh, An index to the community as much as to the code. And it's been really true. And I think that that's, you know, one of the things that's been interesting is, um, you know, uh, one of the types of requests that we're beginning to see accelerate is the, Hey, my bosses are wondering why we don't have an index entry in your. <laughs> yes. Then you have to respond. Well, you only end up in the community index if you have something in the article index. Index, <laughs> uh, which means you don't have any open code, or we don't know about it, right? And uh, and it's actually been an interesting little motivating factor now to get people to be like, oh, okay, well, we'll write up a documentation of a thing so that we can show up in this community side, right? <laughs> yeah, it, it's collaborative, but there's certainly nevertheless an element of the competitive. So seeing someone have a bunch of things up has been a really useful, shall we say, editorial tool in helping <laughs> 
to suggest that other things from other organizations should come in, which is great and this, fun. This sounds like a great project for uh, Biela Coleman, you know, looking at the motivating factors of open source communities, <laughs> what gets people to do things. Exactly. I would love that so much. <laughs> Uh, well, uh, let me close by just asking what, uh, you know, what's coming up, you know, if we talk again in a year or so, uh, what are we going to see new and different on source? I, I was just looking on Twitter before our call and I saw that someone had tweeted you. I, I noticed when you launched that you have the uh, ENUS language code in the URL and I saw someone else was tweeting, a Frenchman was tweeting out a slash FR version of the of your URL. Uh, is, is multiple languages a direction you're interested in going in? What, uh, I know, Dan, you talked about an API at some point. What's uh, What's the next step? So, yeah, I mean, I, so one of the things, um, sources is actually built on the Mozilla branch of Django called Play-Doh, right? Now, this is like way nerdy, like low-level stuff. <laughs> so Mozilla has their own, uh, their own fork of Django um, called Play-Doh. And one of the big reasons for that is they do have um, localization baked into um, to everything that, that comes out of Mozilla servers, right? And so right now... Yeah, you would go to if you visit source from France, you're gonna get the you're gonna get the slash fr as as your homepage, but you're still gonna see English, right? But mm -hmm. uh, localization is possible, and we definitely have folks, especially um, you know people like Miguel Paz or um, or uh, Mariano in in Buenos Aires that are very interested in creating Spanish language versions. So really figuring out kind of a a uh, a, a workflow for uh for localization um it's sitting there as a possible thing at a technical level it's really just a a, a theoretical level how does this actually how does this actually get implemented so i think that's a big part of it um i definitely think you know right now we have actually a an artisanal json feed that um that uh ryan hand built um what part of brooklyn do they have the artisanal json feeds in yeah, that's just down the street from my apartment. Okay. Um, but uh, b actually being able to build out much more of an API side of things, um, I think, is is on the agenda. I actually have a grand vision for uh, a, a publishing system that actually publishes to GitHub, and you are able to fork and track changes and all of the wonderful things of GitHub that then pushes back in. Yes. I can see Ryan's face in my head as you say this. Yeah. Well, I've talked to him about it before. I know, I know. He's totally down. Face looks exactly like what you're imagining, but <laughs> <laughs> when you figure that out, please let me know because I started playing around with Pros.io to do something similar for a front end to Neiman Lab stuff, and uh, it didn't seem to work the way I was expecting. But that, that seems that sort of versioned writing thing is really interesting. Absolutely, well, I think that that's actually part of the solution to localization too. So I think yeah. that um, I think that something like that, if if possible, would be. Uh, really wonderful, and again, kind of underscores the fact that you know the the source project as a project of code is entirely available, right? It's entirely an open source project itself, and so hopefully, uh, if we can kind of figure out a couple of those thorny publishing problems, um, you know, it's it's available for other people to other people to do as well. So that's kind of my very nerdy back end uh, answer. But Aaron probably has experience. <laughs> Uh, no, I like that answer too. I would say on the, the slightly less um, geekily interesting side, I would like to, you know, we have plans for making it a lot easier for individuals and organizations to manage their own identity on the site um, to add things more mm. easily and, uh, you know, sort of just manage those profiles in a way that's a little bit, you know, we didn't, we didn't 
intentionally make this so there was a, a hardline gatekeeper. It's just that we wanted to launch the site more quickly and didn't want to wait until we had, um, you know, all the login capabilities and, and profile management stuff built out. So that'll be coming along. And I think that will be particularly useful for things like, um, you know, pushing small changes up to the site, noting um, any, you know, adding people to an organization when they're hired before we even notice that kind of thing. So I think that'll be a, a useful community feature. And then I think, you know, the other thing is we have some design work to think about as the, the learning material comes in. Those content types, you know, are now under discussion, how they work with the rest of the site, um, you know, what kind of map there is as you move through learning content, is that different from other stuff there? And and also just, you know, now that we have a few months of content and we see the the kind of the shapes of the conversations that we're having, you know, in these interviews and, and walkthroughs, um, how can we arrange this stuff on the site so that it's even easier to find, um, you know, various kinds of projects. If I want to know everything that's been done in Ruby um, that deals with a particular topic like elections, you know, I can do that right now with tags, but are there ways to make that even more visible, even easier to find? So that's all sort of um, interface stuff that we have in mind. Um, and then there's going to be things that we have no idea about. So when we talk next year, I expect <laughs> to have some completely surprising stuff that emerges from the changing culture in newsrooms, um, which is probably the thing I'm most excited about is the thing I don't know yet. <laughs> Very good. Very good. Well, guys, thanks so much for uh, taking some time out of your day. It, uh, it's a great project and I'm, uh, I'm, I'm great. I'll be very much looking forward to seeing what, where it goes in 2013. Thanks so much for having us on. We we love to talk about this stuff. It's it's exciting. Well, that is episode one. Hope you liked it. Hope you learned something. Do be sure to check out Source at source.mozillaopennews.org. And check out Dan and Aaron on Twitter. They are at Dan Sinker and at Kassane. If you have any suggestions for Press Publish, how we can make it better, the kinds of people we should have on, please do get in touch. You can find all my contact info at NeimanLab.org. The Neiman Journalism Lab is a project of the Neiman Foundation for Journalism at Harvard University, home of the Neiman Fellowships, Neiman Reports Magazine, Neiman Storyboard, and much, much more. Find us at Neiman.Harvard.edu, and that's N-I-E-M-A-N, not like Neiman Marcus. It is fellowship application season for American journalists right now. Be sure to get your apps in by January 31st. It's a great opportunity. This episode was recorded at Walter Lippmann House. Walter Lippmann, who said, There can be no liberty for a community which lacks the means by which to detect lies. Our theme music is Missing You by Trash 80. Check back next week for another episode of Press Publish. But until then, always remember, disrupt yourself before someone else disrupts you. <laughs>